everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as always, Jeff, and joining me from the greater Seattle-Tacoma region, regional final, I guess, it is my co-host as usual, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing, buddy? Uh, you know, I'm still on the injured reserve list. Uh, still uh, nursing that uh, injury. It uh, got a little worse. It was supposed to get better, right? I mean, that's the goal of surgery. Generally. Yeah, it got worse. So now they have to go and fix it again. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Probably a, you're exciting. looking at a lost season this year, probably. All right. Well, let's get into uh, let's get into what we do here. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Got a very, 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 very long game to talk about in our main segment today. But first, let's start off, as we always do, with warming up properly and a little BP. All right, so last week we talked about a couple of guys. We were talking about a couple of guys that were named after former baseball players, but their first right. they were they were taking the player's last name as their first name, and we forgot a player, a player who took one of the greatest names of all time as his first name. We forgot about Socrates Brito. Socrates. <laughs> How could that have happened? I don't know. But... So great, Brito. Seriously, named after one of the greatest. What, what I don't even remember what side was he a philosopher or was he a, a scientist, dude? Socrates, I forget. Socrates, yeah, philosopher. I believe, and I believe when uh, when you who did you say the name was? Socrates Brito. Yes, yeah, Socrates Brito. Uh, he had a warm up uh, session that he called the Socratic method. <laughs> Everything I know about Socrates, I learned from Bill and Ted. That's uh, yeah, that's it. All right, so some some real weird news came out last week about a minor leaguer. This this is a Cubs prospect. He's a pitcher named Jesus Camargo. He was arrested after he was found transporting a bag that included his gloves and his spikes and so forth. You know his usual baseball equipment. Uh, also included 21 pounds of meth and a pound and a half of oxycodone. Oh, nice. Wow, he was brought enough for everybody. Yeah, like where did he, how did he think that he was going to get away with almost carrying 23 pounds of drugs in his equipment bag? Yeah, it's kind of a, a bold move um, and probably not a good one. No, well, it did not work out. He 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 was discovered and arrested, but it just you know what it further goes to show why we need to pay minor leaguers a living wage because they are now resorting to becoming drug mules. Well, see, there you have it, and and drug mule, not one of the top ten jobs uh, for potential for growth uh, that's listed, but probably is one of the top ten potential for growth. I'm waiting to see that on the back of a baseball card. Worked as a drug mule in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> so this I just saw. We're recording this on Sunday, and I just saw this tweet come by by Chandler Rome. He's at Chandler underscore Rome. And he was apparently at the Astros Marlins game, spring training game today. This is his this is his tweet. This is incredible. Quote, what a time to be alive. A member of the ballpark security team at Roger Dean. Roger Dean Stadium, wearing an official polo with security in big, bold letters on the back, just spent Alex Bregman's entire plate appearance banging on a trash can before every pitch Bregman struck out <laughs> looking. 
<laughs> so a security guard working at the Marlins Spring Training Stadium in uniform banged a garbage can the entire time Alex Bregman was at the plate. That is beautiful. See, that's when you talk about punishments and so on, does it fit the crime? There's a lot of extra little punishments that come along along the way. Oh, well, I think that's off, one of them. They got off so easily by not having fans in the stands last year. Fans are not yeah, going did. to forget, but still, I don't think it's the red hot fire of hatred that there was heading into last season. They'll still. Yeah, I'm with you. I want to talk about a uh, little scuffle I found out about. I hadn't heard about this one, but we're going to have to go all the way back to 1988. And two of our buddies on the Minnesota Twins, Dan Gladden and Steve Lombardozzi, it took place at Dan Gladden's home after a game. Lombardozzi, the next day, arrived at the stadium with a black eye and scratches down the swollen left side of his face. Gladden suffered a cracked bone in his right ring finger. The problem had started during a 9-7 loss to the Red Sox when Tom Kelly, who was the manager at that point, pulled Lombardozzi for a pinch hitter. Lombardozzi did not like this move, and he went to the clubhouse during the game, a move that did not go over well with several players, including the aforementioned Dan Gladden. Lombardozzi is said to have gone to Gladden's home to settle the differences when the two started to actually just fight about it. They settled it like men, Kelly said. My understanding is that everything's hunky-dory. Is that how men settle it? I didn't know. I, I thought we talked about it. I thought we were supposed to use our words. Plus, <laughs> you know, you're going to injure your starting, wasn't Gladden, there was like their starting left fielder or something at that point, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, this reminded me, though, a similar thing happened in the Cleveland organization the next year. Do you remember when uh, when the Cleveland third baseman, Roger Dorn, tanked a ground ball because he wanted to protect his face? So then the uh, the captain and catcher, Jake Taylor, went over to his house and threatened to castrate yes. Dorn and feed it to him, all of this in front of yes. Dorn's wife. Yeah, you know, I remember hearing something about that. It was uh, something weird had happened. Some rookie was involved that had a weird haircut. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of real weird details. It. Yeah, it, was, it was so weird they made a movie about it. But Oh, Moneyball. Yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is coming out on March 23rd. So I am so excited. We have our first debut of the season. March 23rd, 2014. Bo Schultz made his major league debut. Do you remember Bo Schultz? I uh, He was the guy on Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> well, I've never seen Hogan's Heroes, so I can't uh, confirm nor deny. But Bo Schultz in 2014, do you remember this? The Dodgers and the D-backs opened the season in Sydney, Australia. That's right, yes. I So I remember this because the series took place in the historic Sydney cricket grounds. And as I've mentioned before, I am a fan of cricket. I'm fascinated by it. I think the uh, the most interesting place for me that MLB has played outside of a regular MLB stadium was this matchup in the Sydney Cricket Grounds. Uh, a lot of foul ground. The two-game series corresponded with the 100th anniversary of the last time the major league teams had played in Australia. The White Sox and the Giants played an exhibition game at the same Sydney Cricket Grounds in January of 1914, the Dodgers swept the two-game series. So that was really cool. They played two games there 100 years since the last time a major league team had been in Australia and played there. That is cool. 
I, we got a we got a direct message from uh, from one of our listeners that generally when we hear from him, we're we're going to court. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm talking about one of our regular listeners, Marshall, who wrote a DM to us, but it was a good one. It was not we're not going to court anywhere. So I want to I want to talk about this. So Marshall wrote in about our wax packs heroes from last week, and if you remember, it you had a real weird pack. Like, yes, it was. Uh, it started off with Kurt Schilling, which never is a good way to place to start. We did not have the greatest citizens in in your pack. Uh, one of which no. we took was Daryl Hamilton, and I'm just going to say I don't know anything about Daryl Hamilton off the field. I don't know what led to his at that point wife murdering him and then committing suicide. Again, dark turn. What Marshall wanted to remind us of was that uh, Daryl Hamilton was a great defensive outfielder. He had three separate seasons where he did not commit an error, which I did not know. So that's a good fact, something that'll maybe help us remember some good things about Daryl Hamilton instead of where we went with that pack. Hopefully we never run into that again. It was an interesting pack, the who's who of uh, prison time. Yeah, it was like your pack was the greatest hits of Moss Eisley. It was just scum and villainy. (laughs) Everywhere. If, if Moss Ashley was going to have a team, it would have started with the pack of guys that I had last week. Yeah, yes. you would have. You would have had a good, good core to start to build around. So, for those of you who may not be super familiar with Star Wars, that's a Star Wars reference. Sorry. <laughs> um, let us get into our trivia question, shall we? Last week we got a lot, a lot of answers, and a lot of answers that are legitimate answers. You know. But not always correct. So let, let me read you the question one more time. Last brother combo to pitch and catch to each other in a major league game. So the last brother battery to pitch and catch to each other in a major league game. Uh, Mark, any any guesses? I Unless uh, Phil or Joe decided to put on the tools of ignorance, I have no. No. Well, the answer is Larry and Norm Sherry. May 7th, 1960. Norm Sherry. Yeah, so Norm Sherry, he only played for five years. Norm Sherry, to me, I know that name. It's I'm very familiar with that name because he was a manager. He was a pitching coach, especially in the major leagues. I don't remember him managing, but I remember him. He was the, the pitching coach for the 89 Giants when they went to the World Series against Oakland. And I just remember Norm Sherry as always being a pitching coach. Larry Sherry, I did not. He, he played for 11 years. He's a pitcher. Norm was the catching end of this, if you hadn't figured that out by now. Uh, Larry Sherry, 53 and 44. He played mainly with the Dodgers. He was a member of the 59 World Series team, and he was actually named the MVP of that World Series as well. So I I always knew Norm Sherry. I did not know of his brother, but uh, that was the last, the latest brother combination. Now, we got a bunch of answers uh, our buddy Chris from St. Louis, uh, of course, chimed in with about 17 answers, uh, one of which was correct. But then he gave me more after that. So, <laughs> But again, the homework that he and his father do is incredible. Just pages. They send me these, these pages of homework that they do to find these answers, which I feel bad because I just have a book that I cruise through and I go, oh, there's a good trivia question. Those numbers. And they're doing all this homework, but we appreciate it. Also got a, uh, let's see, we had two or three people say Ed and Jim Bailey, which I know that they were uh, San Francisco Giants because uh, 
they were in that 62 Giants team that I collected, but that is not correct. And then Mort and Walker Cooper, that's from our buddy Joel over at the High and Inside podcast. If you don't listen to that, he's always got some great stories. And he talked about Mort and Walker Cooper, but that's back in the 20s. So again, I was we were looking for the most recent. But, uh, a lot of good messages from, uh, from our listeners this week, uh, giving us some more information and then a lot of good answers to the trivia questions. So we, we certainly appreciate that. Thank you very much. I got a new question for you, though, Mark. It never ends. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a thing. I'm looking for the Hall of Famer who debuted at the oldest age. So, member of the Hall of Fame who debuted at the oldest age. Now, there is a caveat here because immediately, I think pretty much everybody's going to say, oh, Satchel Page. I am, I am, you know, the, the, the Negro Leagues are considered Major League Baseball now. But Satchel Page is not the answer. I am looking for somebody that did not spend time in another league before they came to the majors. So if, you know, anybody that played in the Negro Leagues and then made their debut later, we are not counting that. We are looking for the oldest person that just played in the major leagues to make their debut who is a Hall of Famer. That's a tough one. It is. I Because this guy... Is pretty old when he made his debut. Still made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> okay. So we'll give you the answer next week. Uh, make sure to let us know. You can find us on social media at Two Strike Noise at TWO Strike Noise. That's both Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just uh, let us know if you've got an answer. If you want to do homework and show your work, we really appreciate that as well. So you can go ahead and do that. All right, Mark, you ready to jump into our main part of the show this week? I'm excited because I, I know what the subject is, so I'm very interested in hearing this. Yeah, so I've had this, I've got a whole list of subjects that I want to do. Like, it's a long, long list, and I, I kind of look through it every week and decide what's going to catch my fancy this week. This has been on there for quite a while, but I saw there was some some Twitter activity going on about this uh, earlier last week, and it, it spiked my interest. So what we are going to talk about I guess we could tie it in this way. Last week, we talked about one of the longest at-bats in Major League history that took place last week in spring training when uh, when uh, Luis Guillerme had that yes. really long at-bat last week. Well, we're going we're gonna to segue from a long at-bat to just a long game. In fact, it's the longest game in professional baseball history. That is the Pawtucket Paw Sox and their Rochester Red Wings. They only went 33 innings to decide a winner. Of this game. 33 innings. 33 innings. Let's jump back to Saturday, April 18th, 1981. An estimated 1,740 fans waited patiently in Pawtucket, Rhode Island for a game between the hometown Paw Sox and the visiting Rochester Red Wings. So 81, this is early in the season, so there is baseball. Remember 81, Major League Baseball went on strike at some point. Uh, in the middle of the season, but that is has not taken place yet. But uh, not a lot of interest in a early April AAA ball game, I guess, in Pawtucket. Uh, the Red Sox AAA Farm Club versus the Orioles top farm team. The game started off, or rather it didn't start off on the wrong foot. There was a 30-minute delay as one of the light stands wouldn't turn on. They eventually kicked it and it, and it lit up so then they could get the game going. I'm making that up, but it didn't, it didn't light up originally. Uh, the game eventually got underway, and heading into the bottom of the ninth, the visiting Redbirds clung to a one to nothing lead, 
But Larry Jones couldn't nail it down for the birds. Russ Larrabee hit a sack fly that scored Chico Walker to tie it up and send the game into extra innings. The first of many. So the International League at this point had a curfew. No new inning was to start after 12.50 a.m., but the home plate umpire, Dennis Craig, he had an outdated version of the rule book. His outdated (laughs) book had no such rule, so they just kept playing. Fast forward to the 21st inning. We're skipping over. (laughs) We're skipping over like 12 innings. They've already played extra. We're going right to the 21st inning right now. Red Wings finally break through. They score on a Dave Hubbard double. But in the bottom of the inning, future Hall of Famer Wade Boggs, with two outs and a runner on second, ties it up with a double of his own. So Wade is standing there on second, and he's excited. He just knocked in this run to tie it. And he looks over at his teammates in the dugout, and there's no reaction. They're kind of like, what did you do? (laughs) You have just tied this game. We're in the 21st inning. There is no celebration going on in that dugout. Future Red Sox skipper, who was at that point the Paw Sox manager, Joe Morgan, not Hall of Famer, Cincinnati Reds, Joe Morgan, but old man, white guy, Joe Morgan. He was ejected in the 22nd inning, which might have been the smartest move he made in the entire game. He could just go into the clubhouse and chill with a couple of beers. Yeah, that's where you want to be. Yeah, well, and it was it was not, I'll get into what the weather was like here shortly, but it was, I mean, it's April in Rhode Island. It's not warm. Uh, The next 11 innings were goose eggs for both teams. Both bullpens were uh, just unstoppable. You couldn't hit them. Also, I'm guessing you had some tired players out there at this point. And as I mentioned, not a great night. It was cold and the wind was blowing in. So cold, in fact, that players made fires in the bullpens by breaking apart the bench for firewood and lighting them (laughs) on fire. In the dugouts, it doesn't seem proper. No, it doesn't. But in the dugouts, they had broken bats. So they used that instead of tearing up the, the benches. They used bats. Uh, I mentioned umpire Craig. Uh, he did not know there was a curfew because of his outdated rule book. Well, finally, somebody got a hold of the league president, Harold Cooper. Four in the morning, they finally get a hold of this guy. And he's like, what? You're playing in Pawtucket and you're still doing what? He ordered the game to be suspended after the end of the current inning the 32nd inning. And this was at 4.09 in the morning. Would you have stayed this long? Would you, assuming you weren't working where we would have had to stay, would you have stayed till 4.09 in the morning? I, I would feel obligated, yes. I, I, but then again, I'm, I'm up at four in the morning anyway. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, a, I would have stayed, you know, for the start of extra innings. Um, and then once extra innings start, I'm like you, I kind of feel like, well, I got to see this through. Who knows what's going to happen? Exactly. 409. And it's cold. I mean, it's windy. It's cold. It's 409. You've been there for, what, nine hours almost? But, um, well, I'll I'll tell you this. So I I told you that 1,700 people were there to start out with, right? Well, 19 were there when the game was finally suspended. (laughs) Made it. Wow. Uh, All 19 were rewarded lifetime passes to McCoy Stadium by the team as well. Wow. Which as of this year, are now rendered useless because the Paw Sox have moved to Worcester, where they're the Woo Sox. <laughs> do you see how they do that? <laughs> Wherever the they Sox? move no. to. Yeah, I know that because we're we're putting in all their boards there. The Worcester, and I know how to say Worcester because it's spelled, you would not get Worcester. 
you would get Worcestershire or something like that. But I know how to say these names now. But yeah, those those lifetime passes are probably no longer valid. Uh, the two teams next met in Pawtucket in late June. So even though this was a Saturday night when the game started, that was the end of the series. So it was uh, it was quite a scene when they met again. They were going to pick up the the end of this game before they started the first game of their new series. The big leagues were on strike at this point uh, as they were getting ready to play the 33rd inning of this game. So there was a plan that was floated around to resume the game at Fenway Park since there was nothing else going on there. But the players voted it down as they did not want to appear to cross the picket line of their major league union brothers. The game was sold out at McCoy. There was uh, press from around the world there. Every, but this was big news. I mean, there was no other baseball to report on. This was already a record game. This was, this was a big story. So what took over eight hours to complete a couple of months earlier needed only 18 minutes to finish once they picked back up. <laughs> the Paw Sox Bob Ojeda, who during the original game was unavailable because he had started the night before, was the ultimate vulture in this game. He pitched a scoreless half inning, and then in the bottom of the inning, the Sox loaded the bases with nobody out, and Dave Coza, who was already 4 for 13 in the game, got another single to finally win the game, 8 hours and 25 minutes official game time. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Wow. Let's take a look at some of the numbers from this game. So the previous longest game was played in 1966, which only lasted 29 innings. Like, that was a walk in the park. Mere 29. Mere 29. There were 219 at-bats with only 39 hits, which equates to a 178 average for the two teams combined during these 33 innings. So it was uh, obviously a pitcher's duel with numerous pitchers uh, joining him on the way. Yes, and like I said, though, it was miserable, the weather. I'm sure they were not, and when you play for that long, too, you're tired. That wind just is like cutting to your bones. I, I can imagine how miserable this must have been. Uh, Dallas Williams went 0 for 13. The old batting average will take a hit when you do that in one game. Yeah, that's a bummer of a day right there. <laughs> Russ Larrabee, who I mentioned had that sack fly in the bottom of the ninth to tie it, he ended up going 0 for 11 with seven strikeouts. So Ouch. we've talked about the horn before. Remember, which is five strikeouts in one game. Well, seven has been dubbed the titanium sombrero. So there we go. We don't know what six <laughs> is at this point, but seven is a titanium sombrero. Gotta be proud. Yeah. Only one player on either team did not get into the game. That was future major league catcher and manager Terry Kennedy. What were you saving him for? Like <laughs> you're in the inning thirty, you think maybe you put a fresh guy in? I don't know. Especially a catcher. No, I'm yeah. gonna, oh, yeah, I might need to pinch hit him at some point. <laughs> uh, players of note who were in this game. I mentioned that Wade Boggs was there, obviously Hall of Famer. Cal Ripken was the uh, the starting third baseman at this point for the uh, Rochester Red Wings. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, Bob Ojeda, I mentioned. Uh, I mentioned that, that he was on the Red Sox. Ultimately, though, of course, he would be playing... For the Mets, wasn't he on the Mets in 86 against the Red Sox, or was he still on the Red Sox? Yeah, he was. Yeah, so kind of weird that he was on the, in the Red Sox farm club at that point. Bruce Hurst, I always mention him because he's a St. George, Utah native, one of the few Utah natives in the big leagues. 
Uh, Rich Gedman went on to be a catcher for quite a while in the big leagues, especially with the Red Sox. And Marty Barrett, another, another. he and Gedman were, of course, rain, uh, mainstays in that 86 Red Sox team as well. Um, Doc, Edwards, Doc Edwards was the manager of the, uh, of the Red Wings, who I believe went on to manage the Cleveland as well in the big nice. leagues. Nice. That's quite a number. Yeah, some, some names that we're familiar with there. Uh, the umpire for this marathon I mentioned was Dennis Craig. So <laughs> this was my thought here. One thing players usually ask for out of an umpire, especially a home plate umpire, is consistency, right? If they're going to call it. a low pitch, a strike, do it for both sides and do it for the entire game. So can you see, once this game restarts a couple of months later, if you take a, like a called strike and you turn around, you say, that wasn't a strike in the first inning, bro. Like, what? <laughs> is this strike zone really going to be the same? Craig, though, he had brought his nephew, David, to the game, his young nephew. David's father, you know, around one o'clock, started to become concerned about his son and actually called the police to report him missing. He was then told by the <laughs> cops, yeah, that, that game's still being played. We've still got guys over there. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be, he's, he's okay. I think he fell asleep, though, somehow in the cold, but he fell asleep through most of the game. Uh, as players went home to rest before having to return, they had an 11 a.m. game the next day, and Rochester had to get out of town on a bus, so that must have been fun. That, that's some fantastic timing right there. Yeah, so they went home, and uh, as they were leaving the ballpark, they ran into people, because it was now Easter Sunday, who were on their way to church for a sunrise service. <laughs> Uh, Wade wow. Boggs talked to his father about this game and told him how he had collected four hits in a single game. And Boggs' father was like, wow, son, that's great. Four hits in a game. That's that's really impressive. And then Wade had to admit to him that he had a 12 at-bats in the game. Still, though, <laughs> four for 12, that's a you know 333 average. If you're looking at averages, not bad. Uh, Louis Aponte. So he pitched the 7th through the 11th innings for the Paw Sox. And he was given permission to go home by Morgan around midnight or so. So uh, Luis gets home around two. So maybe he was maybe it was a little bit later than midnight. But he gets home around two. Game's still being played. Remember, they're still going at it. And Luis's wife angrily asks, "Where the heck have you been?" And Luis explained, <laughs> "I've been at the stadium." And his wife snapped, "Like hell, you have." So he's Luis is like, please just wait till you see the paper tomorrow and you'll see it's a long game. But because the game was so long, news of the game was not in the Sunday paper. So he had to wait till Monday and then eventually she believed him. But now I got two reports of this. One report says he spent both nights at the couch and one report says he had to sleep both nights at the stadium. So he had to go back and sleep at the stadium. <laughs> I'm not sure. I kind of believe the couch more than the other, but. Let's see, I got some good quotes from the game, from guys that were there. So this is from Bob Minzenheimer of the Rochester Democratic and Chronicle. This was on June 23rd, 1981. He said, quote, Not since the time they had to shoot the drunken camel at the city zoo has there been this much excitement in Pawtucket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now curious about this drunken camel that needed to be put down. Next one is from uh, Rochester's Dallas Williams. I mentioned him earlier. Oh, for 13 in the game. Quote, uh, my batting average went down about 15 points. I consider that the worst day of my baseball life. End quote. 
Dallas. You can, <laughs> I'll bet. Forget about batting average, man. Step into the, the 20s, 2020s. All right. Come on. Come on. Uh, another one from Dallas, uh, Williams, who was uh, looking for a beer after the game. He said, quote, we had this guy, Mike Corey, who'd gotten taken out of the game in about the 13th inning, and he went back to the clubhouse. By the time we got there, all the beer was gone and Corey was hammered. I mean hammered. So <laughs> he, uh, Mark Corey apparently <laughs> cleaned out the refrigerator in the visiting clubhouse. How nice of him. This is my favorite one from Cal Ripken Jr. He said, quote, it's the only time I ever remember our post-game meal being breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, so I looked up some other long games in, in professional baseball history. The longest game in Major League Baseball history, this, of course, we're talking about AAA, Major League Baseball was played on May 8th and 9th between, uh, May 8th and 9th, 1984, between the Brewers and the White Sox. Harold Baines had a walk-off home run in the 25th inning. Uh, Carlton Fisk caught all 25 innings. I hope he got the day off the next day. Next couple of days off, man. Tom Seaver, he came in in relief for the Red Sox and got the win. And then he went on to throw another eight and a third innings in the second game to earn two wins on the same day. Wow. That's, (laughs) That's nice. Uh, there were some longer games in Major League history, but they all ended officially in ties. So those, I'm not, I'm not counting those. In uh, NCAA baseball, Texas versus Boston College, that game went 25 innings. So, so not as long, but it was during a tournament. It was during a regional in the NCAA tournament. And Texas reliever Austin Wood threw 12 and a third innings of no-hit ball in relief. Wow. 12 and a third innings. He came in in relief, and nobody could get a hit off him. Very nice. Texas ended up winning that game against BC. And then the longest World Series game, I'm going to guess most of our listeners remember this, because it happened just a couple of years ago. 2018, Game 3, Red Sox at Dodgers, 18 innings. That game went 7 hours and 20 minutes for 18 innings. As opposed to the eight hours and twenty-five minutes for the thirty-three inning game that we just talked about, do you realize that these ball players there, how low their uh, hourly wage went during that game? Oh boy, especially for the. <laughs> I mean, I I see those t- those those tweets where like if you did pay minor leaguers by the hour by what they actually make, they're just making pennies on the hour for that game. That must not have been a lot, but I mean, I remember that World Series game because. We went to a bar to watch it with some friends. And, uh, you know, my wife puts up with baseball, but doesn't want to sit for seven and a half hours. Her friend didn't want to either. Her friend's wife, though, was a big baseball fan, so we were enjoying it. But there came a point where we just had to say, all right, let's watch the rest at home. Yeah, I I could never understand the mindset that wouldn't want to watch, you know, 18 innings of baseball. I I don't understand that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can I mean, I can't even watch like a whole football game, let alone basketball. So, I mean, I totally understand it. You like what you like. And, you know, baseball's not everybody's cup of tea. So I can see, sure, you don't want to watch that that long and sit there and see this. But I remember just enjoying the hell out of that game. Yeah, I remember that too. Everybody everybody likes their own stuff. So as long as you're not hurting anybody. So that's going to wrap up our main part of the show. Uh, The longest game in baseball history. The Paw Sox and the Red Wings. All right, Mark, let's 
let's head into the clubhouse because this game's over and let's get ready to play everybody's other favorite game. It's time for Wax Packs. Gotta pull the wax back, hero. All right, Mark, we're going, we're not going old school, but we're going to one of my favorite sets. And maybe you can hear the cellophane crinkling in the background here. Uh, yes. I like this set just because the pictures are just awesome. And this was, I mean, this was before I had to have a summer job. I could spend the entire summer, spend the entire day during the summer thinking about baseball, reading about it, throwing the ball against my, my uh, net in the backyard, you know, that would bounce back and come back to you. And then, you know, watching baseball at night. It's the 1988 score set. Oh, okay. Was that their first year? Yep, first year. I love these cards. I really do. <laughs> just, I, I, I love this set. I, I mean, it is, they, they never put it, score cards in wax, but it is kind of the epitome of junk wax because they're not worth anything, but they're just good-looking cards. They have sentimental meaning to me, and the photography is, is really great. So I've got two packs here, Mark. We're going to jump into this. You are currently ahead on the standings board. You have 15 wins to my 10. Let's go over the rules really quick. We are going to look at the 1988 baseball war reference of each of these players in these packs. Uh, we'll take that and then we'll augment that. If you are, uh, if you got a player that is wearing glasses of any sort, flip downs, sunglasses, science teacher glasses, uh, Groucho Marx, uh, mustache and, you know, big nose glass. Doesn't matter. We're going to give you an extra 10th of a point of war for that. If you have got a mustache, you're going to get extra 10th of a point of war. If you've got a really good mustache, you're going to get two tenths of a point of war. Next, if you're wearing sweatbands that have your caricature on it, have your Jersey number or a McDonald's logo on it, we're going to give you another 10th of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see, you get an extra tenth of a point of war. But if you are wearing those two-in-one stirrups, we're going to ask that you take a minute to reflect your, your choices in stirrup wearage, and we're going to minus a tenth of a point of war. If you are a future Hall of Famer, we are going to go ahead and we're going to give you a whole point of war because you're a pretty good player at that point. All right, Mark, these two packs, identical on the outside. I can see who's on the last card, but I'm not going to tell you. Which one would you like? The one on my left or the one on my right? I would like the one on the right, please. One on the right. All right. I'm going to have you go first. I'm going to be the home team and bat last. So let us get right into this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I guess we're going by war because I'm looking. Your card in the very back of the pack is none yeah. other than a Greg Jeffries rookie card. <laughs> yes now remember Let's go by Beckett. we're going you know <laughs> we're going by war we're going by war on this one so that's not going to help you as much as it would if we were going by beckett <laughs> i guess not <laughs> all right so you're first up oh boy we've talked about this guy a lot i know we're going to mention his on base percentage because it was incredible it is none other than brian downing brian 10 downing street oh very nice yeah so uh brian downing you know, we've talked about him. We, I'm not going to go over his walks and his on-base because we've done that plenty because we've had him several times here in the past. Let's see. 1988, his war was a 3.0. Not bad. Now, I'll take that. Uh, Brian Downing wears glasses most of the time, but in this picture, he is definitely not. This is definitely during spring training as well because there's a big cement wall behind him. Uh, definitely in spring training. He does have real stirrups on, though. So that is going to get you a tenth of a point of war. 
to, to give you a 3.10 for a strong start there. Good leadoff batter for somebody that's not your typical, I mean, no speed. So not your typical leadoff right. batter. I did not know this. 1985, Downing played himself in an episode of The Jeffersons when Louise Jefferson <laughs> sneaks into the Angels locker room looking for Reggie Jackson. Oh, that's funny. Are you going to get this kind of information on any other podcast? No. No, this is it. This is, this it. is the place to be. <laughs> All right. Next, here is a guy that is not a Hall of Famer, but probably should be. It is second baseman for the Detroit Tigers, Lou Whitaker. As we've discussed before, uh, one of my favorite players, left-handed hitting, second baseman with power, you know, and that, that uh, iconic team up the middle of uh, Whitaker and, and Trammell. Great stuff. Yeah, so I mentioned why I like this pack so much, this this set, is because of the photography. I know we've mentioned uh, the Matt Noakes card before, which I really like. Happens to be a Tiger as well. This is a great shot of Lou Whitaker. He's at home, so it's the, the white Tigers uniforms with the big script D on the, on the chest. And it's very similar to that Matt Noakes card, where the top of his helmet is only like halfway up the, the photograph. The other half is his entire bat. It's just such a great, it's a very artistic shot. I love it. I love, I, I just, I love this set. I'm I'm an unabashed fan. I'm going to stand the, the 88 scorecards until I die. Uh, so Lou Whitaker had a great year. 5.3 war. Woo, yeah. 127 OPS plus. Uh, you're not going to get anything else from this card, though. Uh, nothing that's going to give you anything extra, even though he should be a Hall of Famer. But uh, Lou Whitaker, that's uh, good stuff. All right, so not to be topped by Brian Downing. Uh, Lou Whitaker joined the aforementioned Alan Trammell and made a cameo appearance on Magnum P.I. during the 1983 wow. season. That's big time. Now, do I get the Tom Selleck mustache? <laughs> no, you do not, because it's not on the card. Uh, but I dare you to tell me that the early 80s was not the golden age of television when Brian Downing and Lou Whitaker are on hit TV shows as themselves at some point. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fantastic. All right. Next, we have got a member of the Oakland Athletics. Uh, at one point, Ricky Henderson housed this gentleman when he was a rookie. It is Luis Polonia and his 42-foot glove. Luis played in Tacoma for quite a while. Quick little dude, um, really good defensively, but had no arm. He won two World Series in his career. Not bad. Uh, he was on Atlanta in 95. I really do not remember that. And then uh, he was on the Yankees in 2000. So, yeah, he's got two rings. That's not bad. Uh, 1988, though, uh, let's take a look at his numbers here. Slash 286, not bad. 315, not great. 369 for a 95 OPS. All of that leads to a war of 1.5. Got the two and ones going on here because he was on Oakland at this point, which they loved them at that point. He's got a mustache, so that'll kind of even that out, and that'll just take your war, so you're just going to get a 1.5 out of that. All right. Better than a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> uh, all right. Next is, uh, oh, let's see, your total right now is 9.9. .9. Not bad. We're just a couple cards in. Next is DH for the Texas Rangers. It is Larry Parrish. Brother of Lance Parrish, I believe. In no way is he related to Lance Parrish, <laughs> but that's a good story. 
Well, maybe maybe he was hanging out at the local parish. The, the local parish. So 1988 was actually his last year in the major leagues. He split it between Texas and Boston. Had a lot better success in Boston uh, to end the season. But all of that ended up with a war of minus 0.5. Yeah, see, those are the ones I'm not really fond of. <laughs> uh, he does have real stirrups, though, so that will only cost you a minus 0.4 for that one. But uh, I, I should subtract just a half a, a tenth of a point for the blatantly false information. <laughs> uh, Larry Parrish also played in Japan for a couple of years. I like to mention that because we've got a couple of, couple of listeners I know uh, are in Japan that like to tell us when somebody's played there. So he played there, did not have a great uh, great time there from what I see. He also managed the Toledo Mud Hens. Nice. Speaking of TV, remember, uh, was it, uh, not Radar, on MASH, but who was it that always wore a Toledo Mud Hens hat? Uh, Jamie yeah, Farr. Yeah, someone was a... It was Jamie Farr's yeah, character. I always wanted to know what his Mud Hens were doing. <laughs> he replaced Phil Nevin as the manager of the Mud Hens, apparently. Phil Nevin, I think, is the third base coach for the Yankees now. Oh. All right, so that uh, dumps your score down to 8.5. Oh, yes. It is one of my favorite players. I've talked about him many times. He is the cousin of Edgar Martinez. It is Carmelo Martinez. Uh, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Carmelo. Well, you know, you know enough because I've talked about him many times. He's one of my favorite Padres of all time. Well, I know, I know him from you rattling on about him, but uh, I don't recall him a whole lot. And also, as I said, cousin of Edgar Martinez, which I only found out about a year ago, but I mention it every time we talk about him. Not a great year offensively in 88. Still had, though, an OPS plus of 106. All of that equates to a 2.1 uh, baseball reference war. On this card, he's got some flip downs, though, so that'll get you a 2.2. So Carmelo continues to come through. That'll bring you up to 10.7. Next pitcher for the Montreal Expos, it's Tim Burke. Tim Burke uh, was an Expo for, what was it, his entire career? Uh, let's see. Tim Burke played in Montreal for seven years. He had a couple of, he had a quick stint with the Mets and the Yankees at the end of his career. In 88, though, he was with Montreal. Uh, okay, year 3.4 ERA appeared in 61 games. Boy, get this. In 85 as a rookie, led the league in games. How often do you throw a rookie wow. in? Wow, 9-4 and four with a 2.39 ERA. Didn't even finish in the rookie of the year balloting. Wow. That's incredible. 88, though, all this leads to a war of an even 0.0. .0. But he's got well, real stirrups on. Yeah, okay, at least it wasn't a negative. I mean, what a rookie season to lead the league in appearances, but then you don't even finish in the uh, in the rookie of the year balloting. Now, this is something that's right up our alley. In 95, he appeared in the Jeff Moore and the Distance music video for the song Home Run. You're going to find this weird, but I have every album by Jeff Moore and the Distance. <laughs> okay. And Home Run... Home Run is a song I brought when I was working in the minors, and we would play that when a player would hit on the home team would hit a home run. Wow. I Maybe I've heard this song. We're going to have to do a deep dive. Uh, let's let's circle back to that next week. And uh, in BP, let's hit up the song Home Run by Jeff Moore in the Distance. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's, I also want to give a shout-out here to Moore. So he retired in 1993, and he and his wife had already uh, adopted two orphaned children 
one from Korea, one from Vietnam. Then they ended up getting another one from Guatemala. And he ended up with four adopted children, and he retired to help take care of them. So, wow. That's that, awesome. That's a different from, uh, from your pack last week. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Next, okay, here we go with a picture for the Astros. Dave Meads. I do not Meads. know Dave Meads. I, I You know, I, I'm not drawing anything. Yeah, so Dave Meads, let's see here, only appeared for two years. 88 was his last year. Went 3-1 and one with a 3.18 ERA. Uh, hmm. Not bad. 27 Ks, 14 walks, and just under 40 innings. That equates to a war of 0.1. Now, he definitely has a mustache, and he has, his stirrups are wider than the stripe is down the side of his pants. So that will get you plus two-tenths of a point of war on that one. You're at least in the positive there. Next, you've got a pitcher for the Yankees, Tim Stoddard. Stoddard, yeah, I remember him. Uh, was he a reliever? Uh, yep, Tim Stoddard was a reliever. Pitched 13 years in the big leagues. Uh, he was 35 in 1988. Not a spectacular season. I'm just going to, before I look at the war, I'll just put it that way. His war for the year was a minus 1.2. Ouch. But, you know, he has got a mustache. Like, it fills the entire lip from the bottom of his nostrils, covering the top lip, and it's even going, uh, you know, down the sides of his of his mouth. So that's a two tenths of a point of a mustache. Plus, he's got real stirrups. So actually, to, just a minus point nine on that one. Well, you know, it's better than it was before. I'll, I I never like to get the negatives, but I'll take this one because we chipped a little bit off of it. To continue with our, our pop culture, because that's what we like to do here with these players, uh, Tim Stoddard was one of the baseball advisors in the 93 film Rookie of the Year. He also appeared as one of the pitchers for the Dodgers in that film. But now this is the one that I don't get. He appeared in the Tom Hanks movie Big. What was Tim Stoddard doing in Big? Like, he's not an actor. He's If he's going to be in a movie, he's going to be a baseball player, right? There's no baseball in, in Big. I don't know. There might be. I, I'm, I'm remembering him and Billy going to a, a ball game and him holding Billy over the edge so he could grab a, a foul ball, I think. Oh, really? Huh. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, let's circle back. We'll <laughs> <laughs> part, I'm starting to get dizzy with all these circlebacks. Part, part of BP for now on is going to be revisiting things from the previous show that we want to circle back on. All right. Next, we've got a guy that surprisingly enough was not – uh, in that uh, 33 inning game, but we now know was the only captain in Mariners history. It's Spike Owen. It'll Spike. Uh, let's see. Spike Owen in uh, 1988, of course, the brother of Dave Owen. We've mentioned that in uh, 88, a 91 OPS plus. Uh, he wasn't on the Mariners, so he had a positive war of 0.7. Uh, he does have real stirrups on, and uh, that's about it. So you're going to get a 0.8 there. I got point eight out of uh, out of Spike Owen, man. That's not bad. That'll bring you up to ten point nine. So uh, not bad there. Uh, Spike Owen has not appeared in any major media that I can find. So we'll go on. Uh, I think he did a commercial for Dave's Laminate. I'm not sure though. Next, we've got a guy that was uh, such a utility guy that he got his own stat named after him. It's Bill Pakoda. Oh, yeah, jeez, that guy was everywhere. All right, so Bill Picota, uh, lifetime 9.1 war. Not bad for a, a guy. Spent nine years in the big leagues, most of it with the Royals. In 88, uh, let's see, a 58 OPS plus. 
So that's not as impressive. But when you look at the positions he played that year, shortstop, pinch hitter, third base, first base, right fielder, DH, second base, left field, and catcher. Wow. <laughs> so utility the two, there's only two places he didn't play that year, and that was center field and pitcher. He did pitch a couple of times in his career, though. Let's see. His, uh, he, he appeared in two games, went three innings, gave up two earned runs. Let's see, 1988, he, he uh, equaled a war of 0. 0.6. Uh, he's got real stirrups, too, so that'll get you a 0. 0.7. That'll bring you up to 11.6. All right, next we've got Carco. We've talked about this guy. It's Ron Carcovice. Ron Carcovice, um, one of the best arms I've ever seen from behind the plate. He looks like a catcher, doesn't he? <laughs> he is the epitome of looking like a catcher, yes. Officer. We've talked about his nickname, Officer, because of, I'm sure it's because of Officer Krupke from West Side Story. 61210. That is a cat. Those are some catcher numbers right there. 1988, third year in the big leagues, only hit 174 for a 44 OPS plus. Let's see what his, uh, look at that though, a 0.3 war though, because of his defense in that arm. Yep. And that'll get you a 0.4 because of his real stirrups. All right. Well, hey, I came out ahead with Ron Karkovice. Yeah. Not bad there. Okay, next uh, pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. It is Eric King. Boy, I got zero on that one. Well, let's see. Uh, let's see what his uh, WAR is before you say zero. I'm gonna guess it's <laughs> probably close. Uh, four and one with a three point four one ERA, well, one thirteen ERA plus. So you might get a little bit here. That equates to a WAR of one point zero. I'll take it from Eric King. I didn't expect that. Nothing on this card is gonna get you uh, anything else. He is actually, I bet you do, I bet you've seen an Eric King highlight. I would be willing to bet you because he is actually the pitcher that gave up Ken Griffey Jr.'s first major league home run. Oh, then we've definitely seen him. Yep, I'm sure you have. Oh, this is a great card. Oh my goodness. This is going to go into the Hall of Fame, I think. It is uh, a friend of dinosaurs. He believes in dinosaurs because uh, they believe in him when he gets in a slump. It's Mookie Wilson. Mookie. The reason that this is going into the Hall of Fame is because Mookie is not wearing flip-down sunglasses. Mookie is wearing straight-up mirrored shades in this picture. <laughs> he's coming down the third baseline. Like, he's on third base, and the batter is at bat. So he's just kind of taking a, a walking lead. He's got real stirrups. He's got a mustache, and he's got mirrored shades on. So that is just awesome. Let's see, 88, uh, he's still on the Mets, his final full year on the Mets, had a 127 OPS plus. All of this equates to a war of 2.3, get a plus three tenths of a war on the rest of that. So that's a 2.9. Wow. That is... Uh, All right, that score, I'm going to go ahead and call it a hit yeah. back in 86. Next, we've got current manager of the Oakland Athletics, a team that is near and dear to my heart. It is none other than Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin proving to be uh, quite a good manager. Very impressed with um, the way he's handled everything. He's only been manager of the year three times. <laughs> he's a special one, that guy. Yeah, so in 88, uh, he was with the Giants uh, the whole year, was kind of their number two catcher. He's a good backup catcher. I mean, that was his whole career, uh, a good solid mm -hmm. backup catcher. All that equates to a .9 war. He's a catcher, so he's got real stirrups on, but that's the only thing I'm going to get out of that. But that'll, that'll get you a .1 out of that. or and I'm sorry, not a .1, but an entire one point. Uh, next, you've got a rookie prospect. We've talked about him because he's got a two-tenths of a point of mustache. 
It is uh, Jody Reed. Jody Reed, uh, Boston Red Sox. Came up with the Red Sox. Uh, I remember he played for the Padres at one point as well. Um, Little infielder. Yep. Uh, second baseman most of the time. Led the league in doubles in 1990. In 1989, he slashed 293, 380, 376 for a 110 OPS+. plus. Very consistent. His first four years in the big leagues, OPS plus of 107, 110, 112, 110. Wow. Not bad. That is a 3.4 war. He's got a two-tenths of a point of mustache there. And he's got some real stirrups. So that will get you 2.8. Wow. Go, Jody. That'll bring you up to 19.7. Your second-to-last card is the brother of an outfielder, but that's not going to help you a whole lot. It's Chris Gwen. He's also the uncle of Tony Gwen Jr., in case you were wondering. <laughs> uh, 1988, though, was his second year in the big leagues, but he didn't play much in either his first or second year. And you're not going to get much here. A war of minus 0.1. See, he's got a mustache, though, so that's going to just equal it out. It's going to be a wash. And that's going to get you to your final card, which I've already told you what it is. It is none other than Greg Jeffries. All right, so... Uh, Greg Jeffries, uh, in 87, came up, just appeared in six games. But in 88, he finished sixth. Okay, now get this. In 88, he finished sixth in the Rookie of the Year balloting. In 1989, he finished third in the Rookie of the Year balloting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Doesn't seem right. Yeah, so in 88, though, he had a great year. Only 29 games, came up, obviously, in September. Slashed 321, 364, 596. For an OPS plus of 178. Wow. <laughs> that equates to a war of 1.3. He's got real stirrups. That's all it's going to get you extra there. So that'll be a plus 1.4. And that will bring your total to 21.1. That is a half compared to your 12.5 from last year or from last week. That's a, that's a good score. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get to my pack now. I've got some work to do here. I, I won last week which I had not done for quite a while. So hopefully we can ride that wave. We are going to start out, well, I'm going to start out with Mr. Mariner. How about that? Alvin Davis. Nice. Uh, Alvin Davis, who of course we now know, also finished his career in an Angels uniform for part of the year, which looks just really weird. But in 1988, uh, he was still in the prime of his career, 27 years old, uh, 141 OPS plus. Not bad. Nice. Rookie of the Year in 1984. In 1988, this equates to a war of 3.3. He's got a real mustache as opposed to a fake one, I guess. He's got a mustache, <laughs> so let me put it that way. And he's got stirrups. So that'll be a 3.5 to start me out with. Wow, nice start. So Alvin Davis played for the Buffalo in Japan. He only appeared in 40 games. A lot of these guys go over there and just, at least they used to, and just, I, I am assuming they just couldn't, deal with the culture shock at that point because they only play for part of the year but okay right i'm sure that has something to do with it all right my next card here we've talked about him before very interesting guy his mother was a professional baseball player as well it's casey kendall casey kendall is he with the astros at this time he is with the expos gotcha uh let's see casey kendall had a pretty good year, nine years in the big leagues. He split the 88 season with the Expos and the Astros, so you were partially correct. Had okay. an awful year for both teams. Not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's a war of minus 0.3. 
He's got real stirrups on though, so that's only going to be a minus point two, but not a good, not a good way to go for me there. Uh, we mentioned that his mom was depicted though in a league of their own. She was actually named, which is pretty cool. Wow. Nickname Mighty Might was his nickname. I don't remember that one. Me neither. And actually, wow, that's interesting. His brother is a filmmaker who made a documentary about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which led to the creation of the League of Their Own Film. See, look at this. This is some serious history. Yeah, she also won a batting title. Helen Callaghan won a batting title and stole 354 bases in her 388 career games. Wow. Speed demon. Way to go. All right. Now remember, you don't get you don't get her war. No, I don't get anything for that. All right, next we've got pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, Dave Schmidt. And I'm going to be honest, I don't remember Schmidt about Dave here. I remember Dave Schmidt. I don't remember a lot about him. Relief pitcher, I think. Let's see. Dave Schmidt was, he had some starts in his career, but mainly a reliever. In 88, he appeared in 41 games. He started in nine of them. 3.4 ERA for the year, 1. 5, or 115 ERA plus, not bad. Uh, all of that equates to a war of 1.6, and he's got real stirrups, so that'll be a 1.7 for you. That'll be for you. Uh, that'll be for me, absolutely. Don't try and take my points. Uh, next, for the Dodgers, oh, he's got caricatures of himself on these uh, sweatpants here, so that's always good. It's Franklin Stubbs. Franklin Ticket Stubbs. Uh, we've talked about Frankie before, nicknamed Cadillac. I don't think that's a great nickname because... That inevitably means that you're you're a showboat, right? If you're Cadillac, you're Cadillacing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think. Yeah, so I'm not sure there was a whole bunch of Cadillacing in 1988 by Frankie. Uh, 92 OPS plus, and uh, that equates to a war of minus 0.1. Now I can see he's got a caricature of himself on both sweatbands, but I can only see one of them. He's got real stirrups and. He's got a mustache. So actually, I'm going to get a point two out of that. But that's not a good... You're not helping the, the deal here, Frank. Next, uh, we got another expo here. Herm Winningham. Man, her, one of the great names in baseball. <laughs> There's not enough Herms these days. That's right. And he's, or Winningham. And, or Winninghams, yeah. Uh, especially if you win a rum ham. That's, uh, that's really good. Herm Winningham, nine years in the big leagues, 88, he spent it between Montreal and Cincinnati. Not a great year. I don't think Herm's going to help me a whole lot here. That is a war of minus 0.3. Let's see, he's got a mustache and real stirrups, so that's going to just be a minus 0.1 for me. But I'm going the wrong way here. This is not helping me out. It's my incredible defense. All right, my next guy here, if, uh, if I could trade him for his son... Uh, I would do so. But here he is, pitcher for the San Diego Padres, Lance McCullers. Senior, I guess. So let's see. Lance McCullers. Have you ever heard Lance McCullers' nickname? I'm guessing not because you probably would have said it once I said his name. Okay. Baby Goose. (laughs) I I assume this is in reference to Goose. I'm assuming, yeah. An actual around the stadium. <laughs> I think Goose was on the Padres around this time, so that's probably where this comes from. Not a great year for Baby Goose record-wise, but we don't care about counting stats. ERA he had a good ERA. We don't care about ERA though. Let's just look at the <laughs> let's just look at the war. Uh, 1988, he ended up with a war of 1.9. I'll take that. He's got real stirrups too, so that'll get me a whole two points there. 
for uh, for Baby Goose. Obviously, he is the father of Lance McCullers Jr., who's been in, uh, around the big leagues for some time now. Next, we've got a guy for Cleveland. I don't remember this guy. He's a DH. He's a big dude. Looks like he can probably swing the stick. Andre Thornton. Uh, Andre Thornton. No clue. Well, let's find out together. Andre Thornton, uh, the brother-in-law of Pat Kelly, nicknamed Thunder. Uh, somebody might have just become one of my favorite players. Thunder so, Thornton. That's a nice nickname. Yeah, that is a great nickname. Uh, apparently, though, 1987 was his last year in the big leagues. So <laughs> I'm not going to get anything. Uh, 14 years in the bigs uh, for Thunder, 10 of which were with Cleveland. Ended up with 253 career home runs, a career OPS plus of 123. So uh, not not bad numbers. Uh, had a pretty good career there. I just really I I guess don't so. remember him. Okay, next uh, pitcher for the New York Mets, John Mitchell. Not John Mitchum, John Mitchell. Right, lost on that one too. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember him a whole lot. We haven't had him before because I don't have any bookmarks here from him. 88, he appeared in one game for the New York Mets, pitched one inning, gave up two hits, walked one, struck out one. <laughs> so, wow, what a career. That, that, get, you know what, that one game. He is worth a tenth of a point of a win over replacement. Plus, he's got real stirrups, so <laughs> I can't leave point two. Wow. In one inning, you can you can amass uh, one-tenth of a point of war. Yeah, that's, uh, that's hard work. Uh, let's see. Next up is kind of a utility infielder here with the Texas Rangers. This is a good-looking card, though. It's Scott Fletcher. I remember Scott Fletcher. Um you already said Ranger. So let's see. Scott Fletcher, I, I, just, I think he played most of the infield here in 1988. Uh, well, in 1988, he was strictly a, a, a shortstop. He appeared in 140 games, though. Had an OPS plus of 94. Ended up with 15 years in the big leagues. Wore a 4.1 for the year. This is good, though. This is a great-looking card. He's got uh, the flip-down sunglasses. He's got real stirrups on. What I like, though, along with the flip-downs, is his. he's dirty. He's very dirty. He's... Uh, in uh, fielding position at shortstop here with those flip-ups up and just real dirty pants. That's a good-looking card, and that will ultimately get me 4.3 for the positive. That's good. Going the right way, finally. I'm at 11.6. So, obviously, we, we've talked about that George W. Bush, former president, was the owner of the Texas Rangers at one point. Well, Scott Fletcher was on the team, and George W. Bush took a shine to Scott Fletcher. So much, in fact, that he named their English Springer Spaniel Fletcher after Scott Fletcher. So Scott Fletcher oh. had a first dog named after him. Wow, not all of us can say that. No, <laughs> I think I think most of us can't say that. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, next, we've got pitcher for the Buckos. It is Mike Dunn. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> you remember Mike Dunn? Because I certainly do not. I, I remember the name Mike Dunn. You might trigger something here if you tell me a little bit about him. So Mike Dunn was in the big leagues for five years, spent three of them with the Pirates, and then three teams over the next two years. In 88, he went 7-11, and 11, an ERA plus of 87, and that equates to a war of minus .5. He's got a mustache and real stirrup, so I'll only take a minus .3 hit there. You know, he was on those teams that would, 
go to the playoffs with uh, with Bonds and, and Bonilla. So that might be where you remember that name. Might be. Okay, next. Wow, why do I have... How do I have guys that I, I've never even heard of? Uh, pitcher for the Angels, Jack Lazorko. How would I not remember a last name, Lazorko? I remember him from the PCL. Probably because his last the, name that. was Lazorko. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a name you remember. Yeah. Now, how does he not have a a, a listed nickname in Baseball Reference? Doesn't have one. No. We need to get. Let's give Jack Lazorko. Let's think about it and give him a nickname. Oh, I mean, laser, <laughs> laser. If he that's, had any kind of an arm. Uh, otherwise, into my head. Otherwise, you got to call him Zork or Zorko as opposed to Lazorko. But 88 was his final year in the big leagues. He appeared in 10 games, uh, ERA plus of 116. That is a war of 0.5. He's got real stirrups, so at least it'll get me a, a 0.6 on the positive there. Uh, Lazorko is also a former amateur hockey goalie, wow. which is uh, apparently in an episode of This Week in Baseball, they played highlights of him on the uh, on the on the ice get okay so ron darling in 1981 ron darling pitcher who had won a gold glove called the zorko the best fielding pitcher he'd ever seen which i'm guessing is because you know goalies wear a kind of a, a baseball glove on one hand and a blocker on the other makes sense he also played for many years in italy and he also played in the senior oh. league. So we need to have, uh, we, we talked about, and we talked with him about having Don August back again. One of the things I wanted to talk about that last time we didn't talk about when Don was here was Don's time in Italy playing baseball. Maybe he uh, yeah. kicked around with, with, with laser there. So we'll ask him about that. <laughs> All right, I'm at 11.9. Next, we've got pitcher for the White Sox, Al Nipper. Nipper was, uh, didn't he bounce around for a good while? I remember him with the Red Sox. He just looked like a Red Sox pitcher. Uh, seven years, five with the Sox, and then one in Cleveland, one with the White so- or, uh, one with the Cubs. Uh, in '88 was his lone year with the Cubs. Uh, only appeared in 22 games. He started 12 though, had an ERA plus of 120, so that should probably help me out. A WAR of 0.9. He has got real stirrups and definitely has a two tenths of a point mustache going on there. So that'll get me a 1.2. And that'll bring me up to uh, 13.1. So I'm running out of time, but I'm getting closer. Chipping away at it. All right. Next, we've got uh, infielder for the Chicago Cubs, Manny Trio. I don't know a whole lot about Manny Trio. I mean, I've heard the name a bunch. Yeah, I've heard that name a bunch, too. I don't know know a whole bunch. Uh, Played mainly as a second baseman. Actually, he came up with Oakland in 1973. He appeared Holy in cow. the big 17 leagues. Yes, yeah, 17 years he was oh, yeah. in the big leagues. 88 was one of his finals with the Cubs and was not a good one, but he played pretty much everywhere that year. A war of a even 0.0. He does have, jeez, uh, I got a hard time telling if those are real or not. They look a little too perfect. I'm going to go ahead and say those are not. So I'm unfortunately going to minus a tenth of a point of those to bring me to 13 even for Manny Trio. All right, next we've got, boy, mainstay for the New York Mets, pitcher Rick Aguilera. Oh, man, Aguilera, uh, how many saves career? Let's see, Rick Aguilera in his career amassed a total of 318 saves. I think we've talked about him because he never led the league in saves, but he had a lot of them. 
1988, he was with the Mets the entire year. He was traded to Minnesota during the next season. Not a good year. Definitely a down year for the Mets. And all of that equates to a war of minus 0.8. He's got real stirrups, so it'll only be minus 0.7. But, Rick, that does not help me at all. All right, next. Oh, boy. Hall of Famer as a rookie prospect. Oh, boy, you, you may have hit the jackpot. Well, no, because it means it's the first or second year of his career. So it's not going to help me out, but it's a great card. It is rookie prospect Tom Glavin of Atlanta. Wow. Whatever became of him. What, whatever became of him. Did he do anything? These guys, they, they never, they they never pan out. Yeah, they don't, they don't work out. But. I think I heard of Glavin, though. So this is the thing. In 1988, it was his second full year, well, second year in the majors, in which he led the majors in losses with a <laughs> 7 and 17 record. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, he led the league in 91. Get this, he had 20 wins. And I think that was a, a Cy Young. Yeah, that was his first Cy Young win. An ERA plus of 153. <laughs> That's uh, that's not bad. But in 88, he had a war of, oh, he still had a 0.5 war. Even with a 7 and 17 mark, he still had a 0.5 war. And he's got real stirrups. So that'll get a 0.6. <laughs> Can you imagine after you finish a 7 and 17 season, you're going to go on to win 300 plus games and be a Hall of Famer? Yeah, it's... Uh... That's impressive. I mean, you, you're not thinking that when you're when you're struggling as a rookie, but uh, you know, it, you're just thinking about staying on the team. But yeah, yeah that's uh, that's awesome. All right, next uh, second to last card is another rookie prospect, one that did not pan out as well as Tom Clavin. Uh, had some throwing issues, as a matter of fact. It's Mackie Sasser. I remember Mackie Sasser. Hey, wasn't he a left-handed catcher? Uh, left-handed hitter. Yes, he was. Uh, and of course, Mackie was the guy. He couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. The hacker. Right. Macker. Mackie Sasser. Could not throw the ball back to the pitcher. He could throw it down to second base. Fine. Still. And did a couple of times after nobody was on base and couldn't throw it back to the pitcher. So he threw it to second. And then the umpire told him, don't do that again. And he had to roll it. Up to him. <laughs> uh, 1988 for the Mets. He appeared in 60 games. Uh, not a bad year. Slash 285, 313, 407. That is an OPS plus of 110. And that equates to a war of 0.2. He's got real stirrups on, so that'll get me a 0.3. Wow, I am struggling. I'm at 13.2 with one card left. I'm not sure. I'm going to be able to... You need a miracle. What you need is a Hall of Famer wearing two sets of stirrups and three pairs of sunglasses. (laughs) Well, uh, not a Hall of Famer, but definitely a show favorite. Current manager of the Miami Marlins... It is a 1987 Highlights Don Mattingly card. Don Mattingly, when he was at the pinnacle of his career and hitting all those doubles, he was a scary guy to face right there. Named Ricky Henderson as one of his all-time favorite teammates because he all he did was get on base in front of Don Mattingly for RBI opportunities. Uh, Donnie Baseball, no let's see, 1988. Uh, remember he was having back problems as he, as he got on, but this was in the middle of a six-year All-Star run. Slashed 311, 353, 462. Uh, won a gold glove as well this year. An ER, or, I'm sorry, an OPS plus of 128. That equates to a war of 3.7. 
Uh, he does have real stirrups on, so that'll make it a 3.8, but that is nowhere close to, to coming uh, to you. That's a 17 even compared to your 21.1. So you're going to rack up your 16th win. I don't think we need to cover all the pop culture Don Mattingly things. We've covered uh, The Simpsons recently, and wow, that's a, that was a good win for you. Uh, you didn't have a great pack, but you definitely had a better pack than I did. So uh, that'll bring the win total for you to 16, and I am still stuck at 10. That was 100% strategy right there, man. That's just me figuring it out. Yeah, this is like September, too, because you're you're closing in. You're four away from winning your second season in a row. So <laughs> I'm running out of time. But uh, speaking of time, it's time to wrap up the show. Uh, it has been, uh, it's been fun. Another good episode. Well, I don't know if it's a good episode, but it was entertaining for us, at least. I hope everybody else was. That's what matters. Yeah. Now, we, like I said at the beginning of the show, we had a ton of people uh, writing us about uh, stuff we talked about, whether it be the trivia question or whatever. So, uh, yeah, anything we talk about, you've got more information on or anything, please, yeah, we love to hear it. You can get a hold of us. We are at 2 Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can search for us on YouTube. Mark, we've also got a uh, email address they can send emails to. You want to tell them about that? Our electronic mail is two strike noise. Spell it out: t w o strike noise at gmail dot com. Love to hear from you. Yeah, and uh, we will uh, we'll be back again next week for another episode. Hope everybody else will too. So until next week, that is it. Two strike noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.